To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have back on Kip Fowler. I really like Kip. It's been a couple years since I've had him on the podcast, which is way too long. But uh, the theme of today's podcast is all about the super adventure. Uh, Kip, this spring, went on a Kodiak brown bear hunt. He went with Cole Kramer, and so uh, he walks me through this hunt, and there's... There's quite a few takeaways from this hunt. Like uh, it was his first hunt going with an outfitter, first time hunting brown bears in Alaska, and um, man, he tells a really good story. and And Kip's a great backcountry hunter, uh, and he's just got such a good mindset going into these, and and does such a great job explaining the hunt. Like I feel like I was right there with him. Uh, made for a great story. Uh, he also told me about last year he drew his. Uh, Utah mountain goat tag and man this guy made the most of this tag uh, he was scouting all summer long uh, looking for the biggest billy in the unit and then he went in there with his bow and arrow and um, man he arrowed a great billy and the story is incredible uh, so super fun to hear about that we touch on some other things but today's all about the super adventure in fact Kip's planning his next one and he talks about that and he talks about you know just um you know, how life is short and that uh, when you get these opportunities, that it's worth it, that you grow from it. So it made for this great conversation. I really like Kip and uh, really appreciate his time and being on the podcast. Okay, I want to thank a couple sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Uh, so I've been using Zamberlin the last couple years, and they are by far the best boots that I've ever owned and used. Uh, they have these new models uh, that I that I like that are like a cross between a a trail running shoe and a boot but they're totally waterproof they're low ankle super lightweight and a pound on the foot is like 10 on the back so they have these new 215 Saluth GTX RR I'm in love with these things they're just a great lightweight shoe um, if you need more ankle support or you're looking for more of a boot uh, the 320 trail light GTX you're a great boot, uh, waterproof. It's still a low cut boot, uh, super low height on them. They're like just above the ankle, but really supportive. And I've been using those the last couple years. So, uh, if you're in the market for some new boots, uh, some new hiking shoes, make sure to check out Zamberlin. They're absolutely killing it. I also want to thank high mountain seasoning. High mountain seasoning has everything you need for your wild game needs. Uh, they've got jerky seasonings, which I love. Uh, I'll be making some jerky up here for my hunting season. Also doing like some small, thin-sliced, uh, dehydrated meat that I'll throw in noodle dishes or I'll throw in uh, a burrito, things of that nature. So I absolutely love these these jerky seasonings. They've got steak marinades. they got everything for snack sticks, for summer sausage. Uh, they just have some great products. They're a great company. So if you're in the market for some some wild game seasonings, uh, make sure to check them out. High Mountain Seasoning. All right. And um, with that, over there at Eastman's, um, we've got this, this promo code going for both magazines. Um, so if you put in Elevated 321, uh, you get both magazines for $50 and a free Outdoor Edge knife. Uh, those magazines... 
Um, you know, I've, I've been getting the magazines. Gosh, I don't know. It has to be 15, 20 years now. I've been getting the magazines and just absolutely love them. Like the subscriber stories, pro staff articles. I know I've got two articles coming out in this next one, this next bow hunting journal I'm really proud of. Uh, subscriber stories are great. And then that MRS section in the back, uh, this has really taught me about these Western states and uh, what tags and what units are good. And I look at, at success odds. I look at the bow tags. I look at the rifle tags. And this is what has really helped me over the years get an understanding of these Western states. So uh, check it out. Our promo code again is elevated321, both magazines, Outdoor Edge Knife for 50 bucks. We also have a giveaway. Uh, so we've got Tag Hub. It's our internet research tool. Uh, so it's got the, all the Western states in it and all that information compiled in a database that you can look up over the internet. So uh, it has that same MRS data in it that's really helped me over the years. Uh, and it might, I've been using this program more and more. They just keep evolving it, making it better, uh, more user-friendly. So if you're a member of Tag Hub, uh, they're going to give away a Quiet Cat bike. Uh, let's see, they're going to give that thing away. Um, let's see, all of July, uh, they're running a giveaway for the Tag Hub for the Quiet Cat Apex bike. Um, so if you're interested in that, get a subscription. You'll be entered for that Quiet Cat bike, which is one of those e-bikes, uh, which is a great tool out west. And with that, um, man, I just saw the edit on uh, uh, one of last year's early season deer hunts. Um Turned out super cool. I can't wait to release it to you guys. Uh, it's just got uh, epic big mountains and a, a bunch of muleys. And, uh, man, they used a, a bunch of my time lapses and um, other cool shots that I had. So super excited about it. It's going to be a great video. Uh, and you can find all our YouTube videos if you search uh, Eastman's Hunting TV, and they'll come up. I've got a handful of videos on there, and we're going to continue to release those. Uh, a lot of my shows have been released on the Outdoor Channel. And um, so we're starting to release them on YouTube as well. And like I say, I've got some new ones coming up I'm super excited about. So check that out. Man, just getting um, finished up with these Western Hunting Summits. Uh, had a riot here. Um, I've got some great podcasts coming up uh, there that I recorded at the summit. I did like this live Q&A that's going to be a two-parter. Uh, it's got uh, me, Mark... Mark Livesey and uh, Ryan Lampers up answering questions from these guys. I think it turned out really good, so I can't wait to share that with you. That'll be a two-parter. Uh, probably start releasing that next week. And uh, yeah, got in some good miles. I think I got in 50 miles in four days there. A lot of it with pack work and um, a lot of 3D shooting, 3D courses, and so uh, just tuning up all these skills. Uh, man, I leave for um, Hawaii here in a handful of days, getting super excited about that. So uh, just trying to balance everything, uh, trying to make sure I get a uh, good time in with the family and um, uh, getting all my work done. Construction's really busy right now and get these podcasts out to you guys and um, make sure I'm taken care of. But yeah, I've got to cut these legs loose and get out to Hawaii and go chase some access with my good friends. So I'm um, super excited for that. That's coming up. So uh, let's get into this podcast. Uh, Kip Fowler, I really like this guy. It's a great podcast. Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go.
man. Well, good. Uh, we should just get rolling and chatting. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything we got to pre-talk about. It's just nice to uh, nice to connect with you again. Oh yeah, it's, it's, when was the last time we talked? Was it was it really two years ago? Is what's uh, amazing to me. I think it was that long ago. Man, it's been too long. I know, you know, uh, like you say, through social media, we can kind of keep up with each other, send each other a nice message every now and again when we send a post. But yeah, I think it's been a couple years since we've actually chatted crazy well it's good to be back what have i missed <laughs> well I, i'm not sure that you've missed anything it it looks like um you're getting the most out of life man it was just uh, such an awesome adventure and we were we were just chatting about it but uh what a way to pull the trigger on that thing like you only live once and it it sounds like your buddy couldn't go on that trip had something come up and gave you the opportunity to go up to kodiak yeah he's a friend of mine we talked we talked hunting quite a bit and he knew that uh Hunting a Kodiak bear is was my bucket list ever since I've been a little kid. It, that's one of those pie in the sky that you just don't know when it'll fall in your lap or how you can make it work. And so I talked with him over the years about it, and he had booked that Kodiak hunt year, uh, I think four or five years ago. And then at the last minute in 2019, something came up with his schedule and he couldn't go. So he he caught me and just said, if you want to take my place, get your name in. But you got to act now. You got to decide now because if you don't want it, there's other guys that will. But um, so yeah, I had to. It, I, I don't want to say it was um, kind of spontaneous, but I had to be nimble and willing to pull the trigger on that hunt. So I did. I told him I'd do it. I was just telling you, Brian. I went to the bank and took out money to put the deposit down. And once I did that, I knew I couldn't get myself out of it. So, but it was everything I could have hoped it would be. You know, you have these expectations and, and these hopes in your mind of what what some of these possible once-in-a-lifetime hunts can be, and that hunt was every bit of it. It was everything. I was able to take a good friend of mine with me, uh, uh, my friend Trent Thornton, that I've hunted bears with for the last 15 years, one of my best friends in the world. I just said, Trent, let's come with me. Just come. And uh, Trent got work off, and he was able to be there with me, and I think that made it that much more enjoyable. But uh, the guys I was with, Kodiak Outdoor Adventures. My guide was Cole Kramer and Will Wilkes, the assistant guide, and they were awesome. It was just a phenomenal hunt up there. It was very different, though, than what I thought it would be. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, that, yeah. that's just amazing, especially, like, how much you love to hunt bears. Like, every spring, you're always hunting black bears so hard, and you know the species so well, and field judging, and you've killed some great bears, including your one this year. But then to get a chance to go to Kodiak and then go with um, Cole Kramer, which is is just a, a great human being. Like, what a great opportunity. And, and yes, yeah, sometimes that that pressure is a good thing, right? Where it's like you got to act now or not, and you just yeah, don't even I, think about it. You just you pull the money out. It, you just did it. And I don't know that I would have ever gone on that hunt had I not done that. But it, it, I'm glad I, I'm glad I uh, was decisive in the moment because I think so many of these – Maybe, you know, your audience is a hunting audience. These hunting experiences, almost we have to just pull the trigger and then make them work. And I, I'm a firm believer in, in that process that if we wait till we're ready, if we wait till the stars align, we'll be waiting a long time. But if we, if we strategically pick opportunities and jump at them, then we'll make them work. Then we can start to connect the dots with people forward. And that's really what this was. And, yeah, Cole was, uh, you know, it's funny. I didn't know who Cole was prior to booking this hunt. I just didn't. Um, I'd never looked at hunting grizzlies because it was too far down the road for me. But when I got thrown into the into the hornet's nest and found myself with this opportunity with Cole, 
Uh, I, the, the more I looked into coal and what they did and how they did it, the more I realized I'd been handed, you know, something on a silver platter. And he was he was phenomenal. He's, you know, it was probably one of the first times in my life, Brian, that I'd been in a hunting scenario. Well, it's the first guided hunt I've ever been on. Um, so I've never even been in the field with a guide, but to be in a situation where I realize I have to totally let him do the judging, rely on his strategy. I felt, I felt really naive in that environment. And it was, uh, it was a great opportunity for me to learn from him and Cole and Will and that guiding service or that outfitting service are so professional and that, you know, there's a reason guys consider them some of the best in the world at what they do because they're so professional. They have everything buttoned up. Um, so there's responsibilities that I had to take care of on my end. And so anytime we go on a hunt like that or the hunters go on a guided hunt or an outfitted hunt, um, you know, there's stuff you have to take care of on your end, but then there's also stuff that the outfitter or the guide needs to take care of on their end that you have no control over. And they do. They did just that. Everything. The camp was great. Um, it was really good to talk with Cole and Will about what their strategy was, and then you just kind of, you know, go with the flow day to day, and uh, it was a great learning opportunity for me. Man, how cool. Like you say, to be able to learn from those guys that have so much experience chasing those bears around, but yeah, I, I bet there is, there's like a bit of trust that you got to give those guys as well. Like you say, you're such a DIY guy, so you have to trust in those guys and, and give up, you know, some of the some of the decision making and uh, some of the some of the process, or at least you guys team up together, is how I would think of it. Is like teaming up with a buddy, uh, but they just know those bears in that country so much better than you that it that it's almost better that they take care of a lot of that, or or a lot of that responsibility falls to them. Yeah, and it's interesting. That was one of the hunts where I realized how much uh, of importance it was to be psychologically prepared. I mean, we. I guess it's different when you, you know, it got, we were supposed to go last year and it got new because of COVID, so we were able to get back in this year, but that gave us more time, that gave me more time to think about it in my mind, what it was going to be like. And even though it was different than what I thought, so much of the mental and psychological preparation that, you know, we were glassing 14 hours a day in bad weather. You know, we were hiking up above camp on a little knoll, and then you're sitting there from 8 or 8.30 a.m. till 10.30 p.m., and you're just glassing the whole time. We did that for seven days. And if you're not ready for that, you can get really frustrated. You can, you know, that's when your mind can start to go to work. But I think being able to just accept it for what it was, we had fun. I mean, we really could have a good time talking with one another and having fun. And I think it took a lot of the pressure off me to just know, look, this is not my environment. I can't control this. You know, Cole and Will are here. It was almost like it almost made it, I think, psychologically easier to just say, look, you guys – you guys do what you're supposed to do. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the process of it all. And, and so there, I didn't feel pressure at all. And I, I, I'll be honest, Brian, I think a lot of it, too, was that was one of these hunts I decided not to take my bow. I just wanted to go up. I wanted to harvest the Kodiak bear. I wanted to harvest a good one. And because I don't know if I'll ever have the chance to do it again, I just wanted to soak it all in and not feel the pressure that I would put on myself to take my bow. So I left my bow home. I went up with the gun. And I, looking back, I'm glad. It was funny because it was a bear we could have probably killed the ball because we found it. It was laying down in a hummock, and it was not really, you know, feeling any uh, danger from predators as they don't up there. So do I look at it and think we probably could have got well within bow range? Yeah. 
but in the end, that doesn't even matter. I just wanted to go up and enjoy it. I didn't want to feel the pressure. And that's how that hunt went. It was a very low-key hunt on my end. The guys, Will and Cole, were probably feeling the pressure more than we were. But we just enjoyed it, and it was awesome. It was a great hunt. It was hard, but it was a great hunt. But it, I, I was glad that psychologically we had put ourselves in a position where we knew we'd be glassing all day. Midway through the hunt is when you kind of get a little more aggressive and you start hiking and moving. Uh, but we were prepared for it, and uh, it contributed to just walking away feeling like it's an incredible experience. That is amazing, Kip. Like, I, and I'm sure like all your years of hunting experience and tough hunts played into it. But but what a great attitude going into it, like like knowing it's going to be tough, and, and just going with the flow and trying to soak it all in and, and enjoying the experience and not putting too much pressure on yourself. Like it is a a once in a lifetime, or just going and enjoying yourself and and immersing yourself in the environment, immersing yourself in the challenge and. And, and and going all in on it, man, it just sounds amazing. Uh, uh, good for you. And, and you know what's funny, Brian, is we're talking about it, too. It's almost the bipolar 180-degree opposite of the hunt I did last fall where I, I've been putting it for mountain goats in Utah for 22 years, and I finally drew that once-in-a-lifetime tag in Utah. And I remember when my card got hit and I got the email that I'd drawn the tag. This was a year ago in, in April. It was like all of a sudden all the pressure got dialed up, hundred, you know, just hundreds of it was the total opposite where i thought okay the unit i put in for for mountain goats in utah is a backpack in wilderness hunt a lot of the units in utah are fairly accessible by roads or you can ride in on horses but the unit i wanted to draw in utah for mountain goats is a wilderness area backpack in very hard to access any other way but that's why i put in for it so the minute i threw this tag i thought okay now's when the work starts and i it was scouting all summer and trying to find a mountain goat that I wanted to kill, and but it was almost the opposite. So when we hiked in on that hunt, you know, my, and there's a story, but I, there's a story we need to tell about the hunt. But just the process was totally different. This was all the pressure was on. I was feeling pressure. I wanted to find the right billy, and it was doing it with my bow in this crazy terrain. And then we we jumped seven, eight months forward to Kodiak, and it was almost like you know the work's been done by Cole and Will and everybody on their end and i'm just going to enjoy it and when the time comes i'll need to pull the trigger but it was almost these two totally opposite spectrums of a hunt and uh in the end they were both incredible but in very different ways oh that's wild yeah i i um i often think about drawing like one of those really good tags and the pressure that comes with it but you made the most of the experience you spent the whole summer scouting uh you, you found uh the the biggest billies in the unit and then committed to shooting one with your bow and then was all in during season i have to say i was so impressed at at the way you handled that opportunity and uh, it, it was just uh, amazing even just to watch on social media it was just amazing to watch your your entire process but that that uh, does surprise me that they were such different hunts like that or different feelings but uh, you know i think it's it's too it's like i think every hunt takes a different approach and different attitude and and uh, uh that's just proof you know the the two hunts you went on and the difference of them from that mountain goat to that to that uh kodiak brown bear yeah they were uh they were very and very you know incredible trophies like the, the fact that i was able to even go on those two hunts in the same in the same year basically was was it seemed surreal to me but um yeah, that mountain goat hunt was everything that you could imagine in your mind being in terms of physicality and terrain and 
the the fun story there is I, I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time in the summer scouting and guys like you and I and I think ninety nine percent of the audience listening to your podcast, they don't hunt mountain goats very often. You know, it's a once in a lifetime in Utah and then you can get opportunities outside of the state of Utah to possibly do it again. But for most of us we don't scout for mountain goats. We're not looking for mountain goats. So we're very I was very inexperienced with knowing what to look for and, and how to look for it really. So I, when I drew the tag, I reached out to some good friends that had drawn tags and hunted them. I talked to Alan Boland, who at one time had the archery world record. And, you know, it's guys like Alan that know how to how to judge a, a mountain goat and what to look for. And, and uh, Alan's advice to me was don't even look at their horns. Just go find the biggest body, biggest, bulkiest looking goat with a horse head and kill it. Just focus on that, and the horns will take care of themselves. And so I spent all summer looking into different drainages, and, and I was starting finally to find mountain goats, but then it was I couldn't find one that just popped. I couldn't find that one that Alan had described that just looked like a uh, a horse head. With I, You know, I found some really unique goats. I found a really old one that had a horn broke off, and he was intriguing to me because he was so old. Uh, I mean, he looked, he looked like he would die any day. He was so old. It was so interesting to watch that goat. Um, but then what happened when I found my goat that we named Scar, because he had a scar running down his forehead, it was the opening of the bow hunt in Utah, and I was up archery hunting mule deer. Excuse me, this was two weeks before my mountain goat hunt started, and I was up bow hunting mule deer with my good friend Matt Bateman. And Matt, about two or three miles away from us, got these two mountain goats in his spotting scope, and he said, Kip, one of them just looks huge. And he had actually seen the other goat first and thought it looked like a mature billy. And then this second goat comes out and looks twice as big. So Matt just said, look, I, I'm not an expert on mountain goats, but I know we're looking for a big one. And this one looked huge to him from a distance. He saw it again the next day and it verified. He said two and a half, three miles away. It looks huge. So uh, about a week and a half later, no, a week later, we backpacked into that area and got eyes on Actually got really close at about 200 yards. And he was that big. He he looked like he weighed 400 pounds, and he had this real distinct scar running down his, his forehead. So then the, the strategy all changes at that point, Brian. It's like you spend all summer scouting and hiking and looking and jumping and bouncing. And, and I'd come home every time I went on a scouting trip, and I'd put notes in on my iPad and, so I wouldn't forget stuff. And I had a map up and was mapping where I'd see different goats. And when you find the animal, and this applies to, I guess, any animal you're hunting, but when we found scar... It was like all in, all just all in. We're gonna take, we're gonna backpack food in before the hunt. We're gonna go filter water before the hunt. So we made a couple different trips in, but it was all in at that point because he was the best goat we found. And in the end, that did that did come into play on that hunt. That's why we killed that goat. But it was that interesting mentality shift of we went from the looking phase to the searching phase to the scouting phase to okay, now we're dialed in and we got to go to the killing phase. And and it's a totally different mindset that takes place but it uh it definitely came into play to harvest that goat man that is wild i I love that tip that that uh alan told you about looking for those giant bodies and that that goat did have just a giant body when you killed it you know and a horse head like you said uh that's such a good tip and it it's tough like you say we don't spend our time hunting goats uh, you know, we always dream about it, but then when it comes, then we get really serious about, okay, what does a trophy goat look like? How do I judge these things, you know? Um, uh, so so you got like this limited time for this learning curve of learning how to hunt goats, and 
I just love the experience too. Like, uh, you know, uh, we've spent so much time hunting mule deer and glassing features for mule deer, and then goats live in a totally different terrain. It's like the steepest, rockiest, gnarliest face. Like that's where they want to be. They use that that steepness for cover. Uh, you know, to get in and through there. So, like, it couldn't have been easy killing those goats because I just know they use those those rock faces for covering and through there. And at least that was my experience. It's like uh, I'd finally found a Billy that I want, but but then trying to get a stock on him, I, I just couldn't kill him where he was living, or I feared he'd roll down the hill, you know, roll down yep. off a cliff a couple hundred feet, or I just couldn't, I just flat out couldn't make it to where he was living on that steep face. So. Was that was that giant goat you were living? Was he using a real steep face that he was living on? Yeah, and it depended. He was up in a bowl that was really rocky, really aggressive terrain. But you know, it's it's interesting. Well, they'll they'll get to the spot where you cannot go after him, or or you're really pushing it. And I promised myself that I wouldn't do that. You know, I I, I didn't want to put myself in in a in a stupid scenario to put my life at risk try to kill a goat luckily out here when you draw a tag like this you know it's in any weapon tag so the, the pressure is you draw this tag and you want to kill it with your bow well there could be there's three other people that drew the tag as well and if they want to use a gun then you run the risk of it's public land and you run the risk of if i'm trying to pick my spots when i go after him with a bow one of these other hunters could come in and pop him with a gun so that's playing in the back of your mind brian but i i did track down and and through uh, actually through social media and other means I had communicated with the other three tag holders, and, and they were awesome, really good guys about, yeah, I'm looking at this goat here, and I'm looking at this goat over here. And we were trying to communicate so we didn't step on each other's toes um, and being very respectful. They were great. And so when I found this particular goat, I just communicated with all of them just said, hey, this is where I'm at. I found this goat, and I'm, I really want to harvest it with my bow. And they were all awesome. It was like, oh, sweet, we hope you do it. Um, so that, I, I do want to share that because that's where, you know, this uh, camaraderie and this, this uh, brotherhood of bow hunting and even just hunting can, can be really cool. They were awesome. Um, but, yeah, that goat was living in an area that was really rough. And so I realized I, I, was, I wasn't going to push the envelope and do something stupid. But if he put himself in a spot where I could kill him, I had to make my move. And it was it, it's kind of tough because in September their coats aren't fully on. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine what my goat would have looked like in October when his coat was fully developed. It looks like they put on 30% body weight because their coats get so big. But I did know that um, to be in that terrain and to try to hunt him when, if there was snow on the ground would have been really difficult and dangerous to do. So I felt like in September if I got an opportunity to put a stock on him, that I would. And sure enough, we we uh, got up opening morning. We backpacked in the night before opening morning. We split up and... Matt got up on Matt Bateman. My buddy got up on this little spotting point and started hand signaling me to get up to him. And he had found Scar right where we'd last seen him. And Scar had, as I sat up with Matt, this this goat Scar had bedded down in actually a really good place because he was up on a face, but he was in some, some cover, some rocks. But the question was if I could get parallel to him without him seeing me. And so we took quite a bit of time to get me parallel to him about 400 yards away and then I could see from that angle that he couldn't see me and so once I was on the same hillside as Scar about 400 yards away and I could see that he didn't have me in his line of sight I just took forever working towards him and uh, the hard part was Brian he had another Billy with him that was bedded about 20 yards above him and we had to try to 
stay out of the line of sight of that billy too and so at one point i was closer to the top billy than i was the scar we've got a picture of it on, on my instagram page where i got this billy like 18 yards above me and then there's me in the corner and then there's scar laying there like 16 yards in front of me and i couldn't get a shot at scar right it was unreal i was so close and there was one boulder and I, I actually couldn't even see him i couldn't i knew he was there but i couldn't see him and i sat there for 15 20 minutes and just couldn't couldn't get a shot on him and I, then I'm worried about the thermal switching and I don't know how spooky he's going to be so I decided I, I wanted to slip down and try to get on a lower angle on it so I I backed out snuck down 20 yards came out and then I had a an angle on him to kill him but it was it, it was just this incredible scenario that fortunately on the first day of the hunt he bedded in a spot where I could stalk him and so uh, it was game on at that point and, and uh, I, you know, the fun the fun story is when I did get to 16 yards, I was hunkered down and I had a little lip of rock between he and I. And as I lifted my head up, I could see the tips of his horns. And he was at 16 yards bedded facing me, but as I lifted my head up, I could just see the tips of his horns, and I knew he was still laying down, so I couldn't shoot him. So I sat there for quite a while, and I just thought I got to be ready. But it was funny from watching him and filming him for the weeks prior to the hunt. He was. It took him so long to stand up. He was so big. He almost looked arthritic. That when he stood up from laying down, it took him like ten seconds. Like it was this really slow, deliberate process. You've seen him, but he was so big and slow that I literally thought, I need to just sit here, and when I hear him start to stand up, I can draw my bow and then sit up and shoot him. And that's exactly what happened. Where I was hunkered down and I could see the tips of his horns, and then I actually heard gravel start. When I heard the gravel moving, I just drew my bow back, and then I knelt up. And he had just finished standing up and was looking at me. And it was a moment, Brian, I'll never forget. So he's standing there at 16, 18 yards broadside. He's looking at me. I put my 20 pin right where I want it, and I know I've got him. It was one of those opportunities that you know you're going to take this animal. I felt great. I didn't feel hurried. I didn't feel rushed. I felt so good that I actually took my took my my focus off my pin and I just looked at him in the eye I just we had this this about one and a half second look where I was looking at him and he was looking at me and then I I went back on my pin and hit him perfect but it was it was a moment I'll never forget at at less than 20 yards this animal that was just a hunt of a lifetime for me like that and we just looked at each other for about a second and a half and I looked into his soul and he looked into mine and and that was it it was really cool that's amazing, Kip. That is absolutely amazing. What a cool story. Well, and, and um, you know, that calmness to be able to look at him, you know, take your eyes off the pin. Like a lot of times our bad shots come from when we try to rush him, when we feel like that animal stands and it's got to be now and we almost rush it. Like sometimes I can screw up a, a close shot uh, uh, worse than I can screw up a long shot because a long shot I know I have to execute when they're close I almost feel rushed or hurried or like I got to shoot now, you know, and that's that's the worst case scenario. But I'm sure it's like all your years of experience with that bow and chasing all those muleys that that factored in to not only that shot and taking your time, but that stock as well. And, and really, isn't that exciting when you finally get the chance at that animal you've been after that stock and, and you just really take your time with it? But it's it's like that's. That's the payoff. That's the reason why we do it. That's the reason why you, you scout it all summer. 
the reason why you packed in there, the reason why you glass so hard, and then you finally get a chance to make the moves and like match wits with this animal and be able to sneak in like that close to that critter and then have that that other billy above you that is just an amazing story kip and you yeah, really made the most of that experience well and thank you and it was kind of neat because you know my buddy matt's back watching through his spotting scope watching the whole thing go down and and he said when the billy stood up and he saw me draw my bow and i sat up you know he he said i was actually glad to see he was like it, it you know, this this moment could have lasted two seconds. And he said when it went into second four, five, six, seven, eight, and then you shot, he said, I was glad to see that you didn't rush it. And he didn't know about this little stare down I had with the goat. But from his end, you know, we're used to these minuscule, you know, windows of opportunity where you pull back, you get your pin on, and you got to let it go or the window could shut, the animal's gone. But he talked about seeing me pull back at 16 yards and the billy's right there, and then waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And he said, part of me realized you were taking your time. So that wasn't my intent, but he was watching from, you know, 500 yards away. And he said, I, I knew you were going to kill him at that point because it wasn't rushed. It was slow and deliberate. And fortunately for me, you know, the the billy, I hit him, and he actually ran up above me. And I thought he was going to come bail, tumbling off this cliff. I had a friend in Utah that killed a mountain goat with a bow earlier in the year and different unit. He drew an archery only tag, Jeremy Houston. And he he shot his mountain goat and it with his bow and it unfortunately it went tumbling down a hill and fell off a cliff and they couldn't get to it till the next day and in the fall it broke its horns to your point Brian and, and by the time they got to the goat that lost the goat and just he he accomplished his goal of harvesting a good mature goat with his bow, but in the end because of the terrain he basically lost it. And, uh, you know, just for his experience, um, I felt so bad for him. Um, but I didn't have that experience. Thank goodness. My goat went up on the cliffs above me and then he just laid down and died right there. So I didn't have to worry. But then that was the next challenge we had was not only getting to the animal, but once we're there trying to figure out how to full body cape him on this little ledge. And it, it took us like six hours because <laughs> we were trying to be careful and, I'm just enjoying the process of it all, but they definitely can get into some gnarly terrain. And, uh, in the end, though, that that may have been one of the most epic hunting scenarios I've been in because it happened exactly like, totally different from my Kodiak hunt. It happened exactly like what I had hoped and imagined in my mind. It could happen if it just became epic where I, you know, getting in that close on a mountain goat and killing it with my bow and, and being in that kind of terrain and then having a, a shot that goes perfect. And it just, we were sitting there at our camp that night. And by the way, <laughs> Matt and I get to camp that night after we had harvested the goat. And I had wanted to cook my mountain goat on the mountain. I wanted to cook some of the meat on the mountain, taken in and backpacked in a little pouch that had seasoning and a marinade and some cooking oil and some butter. And I've heard horror stories about how mountain goats taste. And then I've heard other guys say, oh, they taste great. You just got to prepare for them and cook them right and so i had done everything i could to cook it right because i wanted to cook it on the mountain and so we get to camp and i take these tenderloins out and we put them in tinfoil and i marinate them and do everything and and we cook them over the fire and man it was terrible it was so if there i don't know how anybody could say they enjoy eating that but maybe it's because it was you know, a 12-year-old goat, but it tasted every bit of that. It was terrible. But that was part of the experience for us. I wanted to 
I wanted to be able to cook it and eat some on the mountain, and uh, I'm glad I did. But it wasn't it wasn't something I'd recommend to anybody. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, um, yeah that that is uh, wild. Uh, just the way it played out, it was like um, you, you got the, the the best experience, and that's kind of the nature of the beast with goats. It's like you're hunting them in such extreme terrain that you can do everything right, and they can still tumble off the cliff like your buddy's goat, and they can bust horns and. You you just have to be happy with the entire experience, but boy, it sure is yep. neat when it works out like yours did, you know. And then to share it like with you know one of one of your great friends and and best hunting partners, Matt, you know, which you guys are always there for each other, which I I really uh, admire your guys' friendship and um, just the your selflessness like towards each other and the hunt and always wanting your buddy to be successful. Uh, you guys are an excellent example of, of what hunting partners should be to each other, but, but that's just amazing. And I bet Matt looking through that scope, sometimes I'm more nervous, like looking through the scope at my buddy than I actually am shooting. Like <laughs> I'm shaking on the scope and, and then it seems like they're so close when you're looking at them from afar. And then it does seem like it takes forever for, them to shoot or for the action to happen so i'm sure he was on the edge of his seat but uh man yeah what, yeah what he was he was experience. filming through he was filming through his phone scope the whole thing and uh his narrative it, it, it it's it's much funner for me to listen from his perspective because i was so dialed in in the moment and, and to hear him talking through what was going on and you know he's sitting there when i was at 16 yards and couldn't see the goat and his narrative in that part of it and then when it when i shot the goat uh, i'm it's priceless for me to have his reaction on film but to your point earlier brian about just the friendship and hunting with matt and probably many of your listeners but yeah when i drew that tag i mean matt first thing he said he was the first one i texted and the first thing he said was okay everything else is dropped on my calendar we're going to kill your goat and so all summer long when, when we were out scouting for deer you know Matt was scouting for goats with me at the same time, and I just knew when when we drew a tag like that, and I say we, you know, I, I just felt like I drew that tag. It was going to be Matt and I, and, and that's how he approached it. And uh, yeah, he was there all summer, and no better way to 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 have that finish off than to have, you know, it's it's not it's kind of ironic that he was the one that spotted this goat before the hunt from two three miles away, and then the morning of the hunt, he was the one that found it. And so thank goodness he was there to, to watch me harvest it. But yeah, it's a, it's a package deal with Matt and I, I think on most of these hunts and it's awesome. He's great. Man. Well, and you guys, um, Matt's a heck of a bow hunter in his own right, as are you. But, uh, it, it seems like, um, you know, through your guys' partnership, like, uh, uh, you both have so much success, but it, it seems to swing, you know, uh, uh, your way and then his way and then he'll kill a good bull and then you'll kill a good buck. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, and we feed off one another. You know, there are people that, uh, not that we need to be motivated, but we definitely motivate one another. And, um, yeah, he's, he, I, I'm lucky to have, have run into Matt through the hunting world at, Oh, it's been 12 years ago. But, yeah, and I, you know, hopefully, you know, through some of the social media stuff we're doing, guys are reaching out more and, and there's connections are being made. and they're so. But it's fun, Brian, because there's so many new hunts now that, that we're looking at doing that you're doing that I'm doing that I never would have considered 15, 20 years ago. So when the time is right in your life where you can start branching out and doing some of these hunts, uh, you know, when I was a teenager in my early 20s, I never thought about hunting white bear or, or Kodiak bears or going to hunt caribou or even hunting elk. It was all 
deer. It was just all I could afford and all that I knew was mule deer, and that's still my passion. But, boy, has it been fun to branch out and to, to be introduced to new species, new terrain, new states, new countries, new continents. And uh, I don't know, the world deer is kind of in the palm of our hand now. And, and uh, yeah. the other good part of it, too, Brian, is some of these hunts are, are fairly affordable, too. So um, you do a little homework, you do a little digging in state to state. There are, you know, most of the hunts that we're doing are these blue-collar hunts that we're kind of doing on our own. And you don't have to break the bank to do some of them. Kodiak's not that way. Uh, but some of these hunts you can get away with not having to, to mortgage your house to do it. Oh, there's so many great adventures out there. You're right. And it's such a great community, just like those other three guys that had the tag, two or three guys that had the tag, your tag there, uh, just great human beings. Like hunters are, we're a great community and, and, uh, it's just amazing. I built friendships through the social media and then, you know, guys are willing to share info or help me out and, you know, I'll be worlds away from my house here in Montana and be someplace like New Mexico or Arizona and, and somebody will reach out to me down there and want to share some intel or some information or say, hey, if you if you need a place to stay or if you need anything, give me a shout, you know, and and uh, it, it's just a great community of guys, it seems like to me. Yeah, and I think it's healthy, too. I think, you know, it was interesting with COVID last year. Um, I drew my goat tag in the middle of the COVID rampage as it was just starting. And uh, as I was out scouting for my mountain goat, I was seeing more people out and about than I've ever seen, ever. It wasn't even close. Like, I would go into areas looking for goats that on a weekday especially, you wouldn't see anybody in the years past. Or you may cross a person or two. But when I was scouting last summer and everybody was working from home and had a flexible schedule, there were people everywhere it was unbelievable in some of the remote places remote places i could get there were people hiking and and they're they're recreationalists they're hiking they're running they're trail running they're um but it you know it's interesting how you're kind of torn at some point because you feel like man this little this little paradise i've had to myself is no longer my only my i'm not the only one here but i do think it's a good thing just mental health for people to get out and you know I think sometimes we feel a little selfish as hunters where we want to have a place to ourselves. I get it. We all get that. But my eyes have been open to the reality of mental health and mental struggles that people have. And I think the more people we can introduce to the outdoors, whether it's bow hunting or not, um, is a good thing. So I was actually pleasantly pleased last summer scouting and just running into people that were hiking and running and and, and appreciating the outdoors that we have. And so I feel like, you know, whether it's bow hunting or not, um, it's been a good thing for people to get out. And uh, I'm hoping that that continues. I really am. I think there's plenty of space and there's plenty of places. And um, But the hunting community, I think, has to acknowledge that now. We we have to acknowledge that we're ambassadors of of our app of the world we live in. And, and uh, we need to be responsible. And we are. I, I had so many good interactions. I was... I was up scouting. I did an overnighter and was scouting a lone clip in this place called the Lone Peak Wilderness. It's lone Peak is this really remote area. And I'm up there in this crazy, crazy terrain. Like, I was nervous. And here's these three girls that come walking up this trail, kind of a trail. <laughs> and uh, and we just start talking, and these, these girls have no interest in hunting it whatsoever. But they respected that I was bow hunting, and they respected I was up scouting, and and they started asking me questions about gear, and they were actually getting ready to go backpack up to the Tetons in Wyoming, so they were very outdoorsy. But it turned into this really mutual respect that you're outside, I'm outside, you're hiking, I'm hiking, and 
And it was really cool. And then in the end, they said, well, um, you know, let us know if you harvest your mountain goat. We kind of hope you don't, but man, if you do it with a bow, that would be really cool. So I stayed in touch with them, and they were uh, very cordial when I harvested my goat. I just shot one of them a text and just said, hey, I got my goat. And I thought maybe you guys would appreciate it, and they did. It was really cool. So it doesn't have to be this combative, like, we're the naturalists, and we're the hikers, and you're the hunters, and there's this clash. It's this almost, uh, I think we're, we're bridging that gap a little bit. It's all right. That's really cool. Yeah, it's um yeah, I definitely noticed more hunting pressure with COVID and and more people getting into it, more people, you know, like uh, uh just enjoying the outdoors like you say, and most of them are really curious, you know, that that uh you, you know, I I've, I've had nothing but positive interactions. In fact, I can't remember the last negative interaction I've had in the mountains like that. And and you're right, there is space for all of us and even you know, like uh, around here, there never used to be any bear hunters at any of these trailheads, and especially not during the week. And I I found this year, you know, there was at least yep. a couple, two, three trucks at every trailhead bear hunting. But, you know, there is plenty of space for all of us. And, and there is there, – there's so much opportunity that's still out there, and there's so many great hunting spots. And it's it's almost like your, your hunting skill set and your knowledge, like the years that we've spent acquiring this – like that's what really matters at, at at a trailhead or makes the difference between us getting into an animal or not. And really, I found out that I can control most of it inside my own yep. head. Like if I let it get to me, well, well, then I'm not having a great time. And that's the reason why I'm out there is to enjoy the outdoors and enjoy the hunt. But if I just relax and go, oh, there's a couple guys here, I think I'll head the opposite direction or even the night I killed my bear – I mean, I probably killed that bear because I ran into another hunter, you know, sitting down oh, off this kidding. ridge. Really? Yeah, I, I, he was sitting off this ridge that I loved to go down and hunt and glass off of. And I rolled down to the ridge and rolled around the last corner, and I I saw him sitting there, and he was sitting on that vantage point, and he was he was looking over this basin where I've caught bears in before. And I said, well, he's got that spot. I guess I'm gonna, you know, I'll go drop in this bottom and make a hike. And I didn't let it ruin my experience. I, you know, it was no big deal. I knew other places where bears hung out. So I went and hit this bottom and then hit this final vantage point on my way back that I wouldn't have hit if I would have sat in those basins where he was. And that's where I caught that bear and ended up killing that bear that night, you know? And so like, if you just keep a positive attitude about it and, and keep, you know, uh, uh, keep after the cause, like just uh, keep in good headspace and enjoy your time out there. It's amazing what will come together. Oh, yeah. You know, we had a it's, and it's part of that's that adapt- adaptation you're talking about uh, where we go bear hunting uh, in the spring in Arizona. It's a big state and it's a tough state to hunt. But Arizona is not easy. And so we've had success over the years. Um but we've adapted year to year how we hunt, where we hunt. We'll go to one area that we've hunted in the past, and there's been guys there. So we go to another area. It's this book that you're writing as you go where you file a chapter one year, and the next year you file a chapter, but you keep reading the book. And the area that I killed a bear in this year, um, I can, I killed a good bear this year, but it was an area I found last year because I had to change my tactics last year because of hunting pressure. And I, I hiked into a new area, and I liked what I saw last year. I didn't kill there, but I liked what I saw. So this year, that's where I ended up killing this bear that I killed, and it was just I, – I was literally going through my notes on my phone before the hunt started, and I and I made out a plan. On day one, two, and three, I'm going to hit this canyon. On day four, I want to hit this canyon. On day five, I want to hit this canyon. Because sometimes you get down, and you get down on a hunting trip, and it totally depends on the scenario, but you can get um, – 
distracted by things that are out of your control and you almost lose sight of the big picture while you're down there and and it's not to always harvest an animal, but I like to say up front, what do I want to do on this? Is there a place I want to go? Is there a place I want to try out? Is there a vantage point I want to get to that I haven't been to before? And that's what happened in Arizona this year was my number one place that I wanted to get to didn't pan out. You know, my son Pierce and I hiked in, three-day hunt. It was way tough. It was way hot. It was way dry. And I had to say, okay, I'm looking at my notes going, well, I know I wanted to hit this point, but it's back out and get back into this area. And so... That's where I uh, went next, and that's where I ended up harvesting my bear, but it was because of a mental note and something I saw last year. And then we ended up – so I, it's this adaptation where, to your point, it's not about when things come up, letting it ruin your, your experience. It's just adapting to almost taking what Mother Nature gives you and making the best of it. And that way, I don't think you can make the wrong decision in a hunting scenario. You make a decision, you make it with the best of intentions, and it's the right decision. And who knows how these hunts will end up. I, I look back at, you know, I just look back at like our Arizona hunt this year down there. And, and we've been down there, Brian, and hunted 10 days straight, not seen a bear. I mean, it's tough. And then this year was the opposite. But it's because it was so dry down there this year. They're in a 40-year drought in some of these places in Arizona. And we had to change our hunting tactics because of this drought. We could have got down there, got into these places with known water sources, saw that they were dry, saw that there was no bear sign. And we could have left and, and thought, oh, we'll have to hit it next year. But we just adapted. And I looked at, you know, looking at my phone and my notes, and well, I did want to hit this canyon that I call Cobbler Canyon. I went into Cobbler and killed this bear. But it was like, okay, if the circumstances aren't good, I'll adapt. And, and that's the, the process that I seem to be enjoying the most now that I'm in my 40s, mid-late 40s, really, is just the process of it all. And, and I hope to never lose sight of that. It, it, it's as enjoyable as you want to keep it, right? Oh, that's exactly it. I love that, Kip. That's such a great point to make that game plan before season, that those areas you scout and write down notes, because when you're down on a hunt, like you, you don't factor in the emotions that, that come with a hunt, and you, you want to move forward, but you can almost feel lost on a hunt, or when you face these challenges – it's like tough to make a decision of what's next, but if you have it written down in your notes, these drainages that you want to hit that you've pre-scouted and having this plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, like having those plans, like you know what your next move is. When you run into hunting pressure, you don't find bears in one area, you know the next spot that you want to go hit. So I, I just think that's such a critical point. And yeah, like um, most of this is like like the the, the best laid plans – like like that adaptation, like adapt, evolve, and overcome. Just keep pushing forward. But having those set of plans, you know what your next move is, and and that's exactly right. I love how you said we're we're always writing the next chapter, and that next chapter gives us insight, you know, and gives us more knowledge into the species. And and that's what I have, you know, in this home valley is hunting bears for 15 years, and where I killed this bear is a spot where my buddy Dan stalked a bear two years ago. That's how I mm -hmm. knew of this spot and this vantage point and how to circle back and kind of adapt when I found that guy out there. So uh, I just love that. I, I think that's so important. That that Arizona hunt of yours um, sure sounds fun. It sounds tough, but it sounds like you keep gaining knowledge in that place, and that's the key to your success there. Um, it's just absolutely yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, I, I would say that. It's a, it's a tough tough hunt we've hunted bears all over but the same the same tactics kind of a, and it's just funny there's these common threads that interweave through all these hunts that 
you know, it's almost like whitetail hunting too, where we've realized whitetail hunting, the most important factor of all is just being in a tree stand. You just got to be in a tree. You know, these guys we hunt with out there, they're like, you can look at the wind, you can look at the moon, you can look at the rut, you can look at the weather, you can look at, you know, which corn's been cut, which beans have been picked. And, but in the end, just be in a tree, just make sure you're in a tree. Cause you never know, you know, sometimes there's no logic in what these animals do, but you're just in the right place. And so that's, it's almost the same thing, whether you're hunting deer or bear, the commonality that runs through all of those is just being out. And, and I have found that so many times that you can't strip this stuff ahead of time. You'd be nimble. You'd be quick to pull the trigger when the situation changes. But the most important thing is you're out. And, uh, I, I do think it helps to have a plan. I do think it helps to give yourself options. Things go south because they will. I, I don't. I, there's very few scenarios where everything just lines up. But if you have scenarios for Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, and you feel like it's based on good education, kind of what you said, Brian, that you're relying on stuff you've done in the past, knowledge you've gained, intel you've gained, people you've talked to, things you've seen. And there's so many tools now. I mean, with Onyx and Google Earth, and there's so many resources at play where you can give yourself more options. And I think the, the better hunter these days is the educated hunter. And I'm not just talking a skill set of shooting your bow, but there are so many tools to get, you know, I drew an antelope tag out in Colorado this year, an archery antelope tag, and I'm already looking at maps and as dry as it is out west here, I'm looking at water sources. And even if none of that comes into play, I feel like it's arming me mentally to get out there. I feel like if I make a decision, it's back on some intel that I've gathered. I, I hate making decisions on the mountain when I feel like I have no clue what I'm doing, so I'm just guessing. I feel like I'm making this decision based on some information I've gathered, and then I feel better about it. Yeah, I just feel better about it. So there's so much information out there available to us on some of these hunts that um, it, it just makes sense to try to do some of that work ahead of time. And I will say the use of some of those resources has come into play so many times, especially recently with the animals we've been harvesting, with deer and bear and everything else. It's uh there's there's really good opportunities to increase your success by doing some of that legwork ahead of time for sure. Man, it's um it's so fun to talk to you. We just have so many I have so many similarities with you when you get talking about these hunts and um yeah, I like to have that research like you say. It's and even if I've never been to a place, I wanna know what I'm hiking to or what I'm hiking towards. I want to know what's over there, you know, or at least have been looking at it on Google Earth or on Onyx to know which basins sit over there and how I'm going to hike the ridge line. I don't like to just be hiking blind and not know what's next. But uh, there, too, you, you can't write the script and you don't know what's going to happen. And you just got to be out there and keep putting forth effort. And eventually it's like a... You, you run into something or something comes together. Um, yeah, that that's just amazing. And I think it is like, um, you know, talking about adding these chapters and adding this knowledge. So like the spot where you hunt bears or the spot where you hunt mule deer, like you have past year's experience. And I think it's a mix and match of like having these basins that you know are good, but always in your pre-scouting, I'm always planning to learn new drainages or to hike to new spots as well. And it's a mix and match of spots that I know or de developing those spots further or having like this new drainage or this new place I want to hike in and go scout. And it's a mix and match because you have to like keep furthering the learning curve. You can't get stuck in a rut where you just hunt one drainage and that's the drainage you hunt or you hunt three drainages like like we're – explores by nature and you got to keep exploring and keep learning you know and i i think that's the key but kip i gotta ask you i gotta have you tell me the story of that kodiak bear um 
it it sounds like it was a ton of glassing. So the the weather was gnarly on Kodiak. It wasn't sunshine and seventy, huh? <laughs> no, yeah, that. So so the 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 scenario there was where we camped. We backpacked in quite a ways to get to where we camp, and then from camp we would hike up on this ridge, literally 400 yards, and you're glassing all day. So we had set up a tarp, and we're glassing under this tarp, and, you know, the wind's blowing. It would snow on and off. It would rain on and off. So, you know, as long as you're prepared for that, you're fine. And I can't imagine anybody going to Kodiak in the spring not being prepared for that. But you have the right gear, and it's fine. You know, we, we hovered, I think it was upper 30s each day. You know, the wind was blowing each day. Um, so there were times it was blowing hard, times when it was quiet. It was just, you know, it wasn't the worst scenario I've ever been in by any means, but it was just, we went in preparing for the worst scenario. I had a friend that went in there the year, two years before, and it was one of the, one of the hardest weather hunts that they've ever done because it was so cold. So we had really good gear, wind proof gear. We had rainproof gear. We were warm. I wasn't cold the whole time. It was cold, but I was never cold. But we'd sit there and you'd glass all day. And, you know, this area we were in, we weren't seeing a lot of bears. In my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to go up there and we're going to see 10, 15 bears a day. And that's very possible. We weren't. We were seeing one to two bears a day, maybe three, you know, but it was on and off. But, you'd, you know, you'd catch a bear moving two or three miles away in the morning. And then with four guys glassing, you wouldn't see another bear for 10 hours and then you'd catch one moving over so we uh you know it wasn't this you know go up there somebody opens the floodgates and all the bears come roaming through to pick the one you want to kill it was hard glasses all day and so we were into our i i have my I, it was fun every night um in our tent we'd get back to camp i would i would type up a summary of the day's events on my phone so i love going back and reading those notes you know day one we had this for breakfast we went up in glass we saw this bear came back to camp, we talked about it in camp, we had this for dinner, went to bed. As simple as that sounds, I love reading those notes, but on my phone I've got the notes, but it was two to three bears a day maybe at the most. And so we did that for, um, I believe, six days, and it was fun. You're talking with one another. you got three guys glass, one guy takes a quick nap. He would get up, the next guy would lay down, and these, they call them hummocks. They're these depressions in the terrain that you could lay down in, and, and uh, you wouldn't be exposed to the wind. If you put your little tarp over you, you could – sit there and just take a nap and not even get wet um, but it was this team team effort of you got four guys looking at four different areas and, and uh it was like that every day and that's where if, if you're not mentally prepared you'd go nuts if you if you're not ready to just glass all day you know there are different hunts where i love being physical and i want to move all day and i want to cover terrain and the approach that cole takes in this in this particular hunt is we don't want to spread our scent around. These boars are up. They're just coming out of their den, and they're moving, and they're looking for sows. and they're So let's just kind of let them move around us, and let's see what we can find. And then if midway through this two-week hunt, we're not seeing much movement. Then we can get out and cover some, con- some, some country a little bit. But his, his approach, which has proven successful for him for the longest time, has been at least do that halfway through through your hunt and let's see what you're running into let's see what you're finding so we did that for the first week and you know we just weren't seeing quite what we wanted to see so on this day this particular morning he said we're going to get to the point we'll look really quick and just kind of see we don't want to miss something that maybe has moved right down into our area and then if we don't see anything quick we're going to hike up this uh, we're going to hike up this mesa and get it looked at we're getting where we can look deep into this canyon. We had only hiked a thousand yards. I mean, Brian, we we left our glassing point and had gone like 15 minutes, 
and my friend Trent happened to see and our, at our level, you know, it, we, we were glass clear of these drainages way high, trying to catch these bears coming out of their dens. And Trent happens to see this bear laying across this ravine from us, just laying there. And and uh, we initially didn't think it was a big bear. It, we just, the initial impression, we couldn't tell, but it's because it was in one of these depressions. It was in one of these hummocks that's laying down. And so we couldn't see, fully see what it was. And so we got to 100 yards. And then we just we sat on it for like 30 or 40 minutes, and Cole was being very careful, looking at the hide, really trying to assess the head. The bear moved around. We could see its ivory claws. We knew it was a boar. But Cole was trying to make sure I knew what I was looking at. And, Brian, for me, this bear looked huge. I, have not, I kept telling Cole, look, I got nothing to compare this bear to. It looks huge to me. And I'm looking back at Trent, who's behind us. And Trent's just giving me the thumbs up, like, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Let's do this. Let's do this. So Cole was being very cautious, trying to judge this bear and give me a really good um, realistic perspective and judgment on what this bear was. And ultimately, in the end, he just said, Kip, it's it's your call. He felt like the hide looked like it was in good shape. It was a really light-colored bear. Um, And so the areas where the hide was a little shorter – it blended in really well. It wasn't like these contrasting dark-colored hair and then a really light rub. It didn't have any distinct rubs. And Cole was cognizant of all of that, so we were just talking to one another. And he, he just finally said, look, Kip, if, if you're looking for a mature boar, this, I'm confident this is a mature boar. I don't know if it'll go 10 feet, but I, it's a good mature boar, and the height looks really good. And at that point, I said, you know what? That's what I came here for. I didn't come here feeling like I have to kill a 10-foot grizzly. I didn't feel like I had to kill a boon and bear. I just wanted a good bear, and this bear looked really good to me. So I made the decision right there. I'm going to harvest this bear. Let's do it. And it presented us with a perfect shot. And once I pulled the trigger, this bear, it, it went 10 yards, and it was done. It took its heart out. But even then, Brian, we weren't quite – like, I still wasn't quite sure. Like, he looked great to me, and I was so excited, hugging and high-fiving. And even when we got up to the bear, it looked huge to me, but Cole was trying to judge it up, and he was being cautious. Um, he was just – he was trying to real, and the bear fell into this little hummock again, and so we had to kind of move it around. And it was only then that I started to think, if this isn't a 10-foot bear, I don't know what it is. If this isn't – this bear feels like a giant to me. I'm looking at its paws. They look huge, and the head looks huge, and Trent and I are going nuts, and we're comparing this to, you know, we've killed some big black bears. Trent and I have killed some black bears that have been over 500 pounds. Trent's got a black bear that went 2112. We've killed some big bears, and this bear was twice that size. And so, we, I, you know, I'm almost glad I was totally naive to the to hunting brown bear because, to me, it didn't get any better than this. It looked huge, and, and ultimately, that's what it came down to, we you know, you cape the bear out, you get it back to camp, and by the time we got back into Kodiak, you have to check him in, and they score him and measure him. And this bear was 10 foot square right on the nose, and his, and his head went 27.4, I believe, and Boone Crockett's 28, and he was about a 12-year-old bear, 10 to 12-year-old bear. So he was perfect. He was better than perfect. And, uh, you know, it, it just all came together for me. You know, we didn't kill him five miles from camp in a blizzard. Cole said, what, what ultimately happened, and Brian is we're looking at this bear and Cole just I'm looking at him through my scope my rifle scope and we're going back and forth dialogue on whether we should shoot it or not finally Cole just said Kip Kip and I turned around and he said pull off your scope for a minute just pull off your scope and, and look look at the bear 
So I, I back out of the scope, and I'm just looking at this bear over on the hillside. The sun's hitting it. The sky had cleared. The sun was out. It was the best weather day we'd had. It was early in the morning. We weren't fighting daylight. It was just like this. And he's like, this is a pretty good setup, really. i got to tell you, it's actually a pretty good setup. You may you may consider pulling the trigger here. Like, it doesn't get much better than this. And I was like, okay, you're right. But we, it was almost in that moment having Cole just kind of have to say, look, Kip, this is actually a pretty good scenario. And then after the hunt, you know, I, I was texting Cole last week and he just said, yeah, after, you know, he went on two or three more hunts following mine. And he said, your scenario, it's kind of nice to have one of those handed to us every now and again, where everything just lines up perfect. And, and that's really what it came down to. And so as I look back on that hunt, you can go back to Kodiak. If you harvest a bear, you can, you can go back to Kodiak or the peninsula every four years or you can't go back for another four years and i'm already thinking i'd love to go back someday um, because it was such a great experience and i consider myself lucky but that's what happened man that is amazing kip it's the the details too in that in that story that you tell um what an awesome experience man that is just yeah, unreal it, it was it, it was incredible and so i i would just tell guys when you have these these hunts that you want to do, find a way to find a way to make them happen. I, you know, I'm, I'm already looking at a doll sheep hunt in the fall possibly just because, you know, I, it, it's interesting. You have this balance in your life of when you're young, you can't afford to do stuff like that and you got to get to school and start a family and things like that. And then you don't want to wait till you're too old because you don't have the physical ability to do it. So where's that sweet spot? But I'm to the point now I'm telling everybody that, that I can within being within the bounds of responsibility, you do what you need to do to keep yourself happy and motivated and, you know, let nobody else's perspective change that for you. So, you know, people could probably look at what I've done in my life from a hunting perspective and, and they may say, according to them, they're, you, you've been irresponsible and, I, and so be it. But I, I just think you create your own opportunities and for guys that are looking at hunts they want to do, uh, I would just tell you find a way to do them. Just find a way to do them. I cannot look back on any hunt I've ever done in my life at the dollars that I spent on that hunt. I, I, you know, this is the first one that has caused me to question a little bit because this steps up into a different realm. But a bear that I killed 10 years ago, I can't even tell you what I spent on an over-the-counter tag and how much I spent on gas, food, and time. I just know what I experienced on that hunt, and I and I thrive off stuff like that. And if we, if if Brian, if you know you're wired that way, why fight it? If if I know what motivates me and I'm wired a certain way, I should embrace it within the bounds of being responsible as a dad and a husband and an employee and a father, there's a, there's a way to juggle those things and we need to find it to stay healthy and happy. And, and then we're better people because of it. So um, I would tell guys, listen, if you have these bucket list hunts you want to do, I would step it up a notch and find a way to get that ball rolling. Man, you're so right. That just hits home. It's like you, you, you only live once and, and yes, you have to be responsible, but it, it, you know, we we only die with these experiences that we have. You know, it's like um, it, it it's so amazing. It's so amazing, like the way you embraced it too. Like you definitely don't want to feel guilt on the hunt. Like you and you want to have fun on it. And being on Kodiak Island and glassing for fourteen day, hours a day isn't always fun. It's not fun all the time. But in the end, like like to have an experience like that that you've done. I mean. Uh, it just really hits home with me. I've definitely been saying yes more. You know, it's like uh, yeah. I'm the same way. I just got in my 40s, and it's like I can I can put off these hunts, but 
you know, these places I've been like that New Zealand hunt or, you know, like a, a Hawaii, which, you know, I'm going to go back in July and go hang out with my buddies out there. And I've, I've got a good in out there and, and really good friends that that uh, uh, treat me to a real special hunt out there. But I just got to say, yes, it's so easy to get busy with work and it's so easy to say, no, I I should uh, uh, really save more money or save this. But after you said yes and you sent that deposit, like you say, it makes us better people. I bet you went back and you attacked work knowing that, you know, you you want to make up for it. And you also you attack, you know, not that you attack your family, but you like uh, you are a better husband and a better father when you get to do what you truly love to do. Uh, it, it makes you a better person. Like you, not that you have to make up for it, but it just makes you want to be better in all facets of your life, and especially when you get to enjoy what you love so much, Kip. So, man, I mean, um, that advice hits home with me, and and I, I think it couldn't be more spot on. And I'm so happy for you for that experience, and then to start looking towards the future, towards like a doll sheep or something. And I think I need to do the same. You know, it's been a dream of mine. To, to go hunt a doll sheep and I, I always tell myself well it's irresponsible to go hunt one because it costs <laughs> this much or because it but you know it's like um we spend so much of our of our life working and responsibility and things of that nature and and and, and to be honest like you know not not that I have a bunch of excess or something but I think I could figure it out you know if I want it bad enough I can figure it out I can I can work side yeah, jobs it's like or, everything else what you know, once you make the decision you'll find a way to make it happen and I and that's something that if you do that through hunting, you can apply it to everything else. You really can. I, you know, I, I remember talking to one of my very best friends um, who lives – anyway, he he's, doesn't have money. And uh, I was talking to him about this very thing, and he said, you know what? I want to leave my kids when I die. And I said, what? And he said, nothing. <laughs> the best thing I can do, he said, the best thing I can do for my kids when I die is to have left them nothing tangible. And he was talking about tangible, talking about money and a house and property and equity. He said, the best thing I could do for them is they know up front when I die, financially, I'm leaving them nothing. And I'm filling their reservoir with other things. But he said, the best thing I can do for my kids when I die is financially, tangibly, assets and otherwise, to leave them nothing. And they know that. And then I'm filling their bucket as we go throughout life with the other things that when I die will live far beyond me. And I that came into play with a friend of mine that went on a stone sheep hunt like four years ago, Jeremy Chamberlain. And Jeremy, you know, neither of us are rich. And I was like, how are you going to do this, Jeremy? You know, how are you going to do this? And he's like, Chip, I finally just decided that, yeah, I could save fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 by not going. But what am I going to do with that money when I die? <laughs> he's like... That money, he's like, I need to start building these experiences in my life because when my life is more rich with experiences, that's what I share with other people. And, you know, Brian, as you look at people you're influencing through your podcast, through social media, through the hunting, how can you say that that's any less worthwhile and worthy than the work you could be doing by giving somebody help financially? It's probably more uh, valuable. I've, I've had the opportunity to, to take a lot of my my kids' friends hunting and hiking and backpacking with me. And in my mind, I'm realizing that's no less valuable um, or even honorable, no less honorable than me going down and, and buying something for somebody at Christmas that needs help financially at Christmas. It's, it's even more you're teaching them ways that they can experience life to the fullest as they go throughout life. And I think 
you know, I don't think this is us justifying our love of hunting, but I think it, it asks us, what are we going to do with these experiences when we have them? How can we involve other people with them? And then it even makes it more of a sense of community and give back for you as well. Like, I'm trying to figure out how I take my Kodiak experience and, and enable somebody else. And maybe this podcast is a way of doing it. I don't know. But it's the sense that if we're lucky enough and we're for ambitious enough and we're um, – blessed enough to go have opportunities to share them with others and to encourage other people to do the same. And then I, I come back to this, Brian, it, it's healthy for people. It's mentally, physically, psychologically, spiritually help, helpful for people to experience these things and to challenge themselves this way. And, and I hope people do. I, I think it's a, it's a life decision that empowers you well beyond uh, hunting in the outdoors. It empowers you in everything you do. This, this decision you make to move forward and to, to pull the trigger on something, so to speak, and then make it happen. That's really well said, Kip. I think I think we should end it with that. I think that's the perfect way to end the podcast. But man, I just really appreciate you. That um, some of those stories they they just light a fire under me, and they're so exciting to hear about. You know, um, man, I, I just couldn't be happier for you. And, and good on you on on all your successes. You know, but uh, good on you for for these adventures, for saying yes and uh, making it happen and, and figuring it out. Uh, it, it's just so fun to, to be part of and to hear about. So thanks, Kip. Uh, man, yeah. I really appreciate you. Yeah, I pre- it's fun to share them, too. I will say that. It's fun not only to experience them, but it is fun to share them with others. So uh, appreciate the opportunity, Brian. Yep. Okay, we'll keep in touch. Thanks. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Man, fun to talk to Kip about these super adventures. If that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. Uh, it's so cool for him to pull the trigger on that brown bear hunt, talking about a doll sheep hunt, uh, his goat hunt from last year, and then that guy's a heck of a black bear hunter. Uh, he's always killing some good black bears. Um, uh, so, yeah, just super fun to catch up to him and, and talk to him and uh, I guarantee it won't be two years till I have him on again. Uh, the guy's just such a consistent backcountry hunter and such a great attitude. Um, so, yeah, I love having him on. Thanks to him for taking the time. Man, yep, so just wrapping up these Western Hunting Summits. Sure had fun at those things. A um, couple four-day summits, a lot of shooting, got some good running in, some good uh, uh, ruck work. Just getting ready for hunting season. It's going to be here before we know it. Uh, it's July already, or I guess it's... June 28th now, but will be July by the end of the week or by the time we release this podcast. It seems like once the July 4th gets here, season's uh, uh, right around the corner. So just getting in all that necessary work, making sure I'm in shape, have my mind right, get all my responsibilities taken care of, and make sure my family's good. And um, man, I'll be cutting loose here before I know it. I'm just so excited. And, and I got this hunt coming up in Hawaii here in a handful of days. So uh, get to go chase some some rutting axis and gosh it's been a couple years since I've been out there and maybe even three years since I since I've really chased axis hard and so um, yeah be looking for a good one super excited these things are fun and got that bow shooting good so um, yeah um, uh, be taken off here before I know it so super excited about that uh, well I got some great podcasts coming up for you guys uh, excited to release them uh, just want to thank my sponsors again for today's show. I want to thank um, uh, High Mountain Seasonings, and then I also want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Uh, Just loving their boots that those new models are so lightweight and hike so good for me. So super impressed by those. I'm going to be taking those to Hawaii with me. 
And um, thanks to all our sponsors that support the podcast. Um, thank, thanks to you guys for the support of the podcast and support over social media. I really appreciate it. And uh, got some great recordings coming up and uh, try to get you guys ready for season and some good listening during season when you're traveling so much truck time, uh, excuse me, so much truck time and things of that nature. So try to have some good recordings to uh, uh, keep your mind occupied while you're headed to the hunt and hopefully get you those last tidbits or, or last tactics that'll help you be successful in the field. So uh, thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. I'll check in with you next week.